There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. Hey, Paul Scarbina here, along with Titans beat writer Eric Bacharach. I know how to pronounce it, I just learned that. Yeah. And uh, we're here talking Titans today. I'm filling in with Eric. First, I want to start with Eric. Um, the other night, we stood in the rain at Nissan Stadium for a little while, watched a downpour, and then watched a little bit of football. Not quite full football, but, you know, getting closer to that. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get your, your impressions, first of all, on, uh, I think it was Taze Sharp had a big day right. for them. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota looked pretty good early. What kind of what were your overall impressions of, of the scrimmage? Well, I guess first was you kind of had flashbacks to week one of of my uh, last season when we were in Miami. Kind of just honestly some some PTSD from that because that was I know obviously you weren't there for that, but I'm sure you read it. You weren't even with the Tennessean at that time. I, well, I don't think believe. I, I I think I was okay, but I used to live in Miami, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that that was the biggest joke because I don't remember seeing you know, a, a bolt of lightning while we were there. But there was four hours worth of lightning delays in that game. Thankfully, only about an hour and 10 minutes on, on uh, <laughs> during the scrimmage, right? Right, right. So it wasn't that bad <clears throat> the other night. And, you know, again, I was kind of surprised as I was watching the rain come down that they went out and played just because I, I you know, kind of felt the ground and it was pretty, it was pretty saturated. Surprised they were going to, um, you know, end up, playing on that but once they did uh you know nobody nobody got hurt thankfully for the titans as you mentioned i think tajay sharp was the guy that night that first drive he started four catches uh caught the touchdown pass that that began that drive uh marcus mariota and and, uh sharp were were really in sync and i think that's going to be important you know going forward he's a guy that probably entering camp number five uh on the receiving depth chart and, uh, you know, I, I think he really had to sort of solidify that spot, if not jump ahead of a guy like, like Taewon Taylor, who's probably number four, just because Sharp is a guy that does nothing on special teams. So his value is very sort he's, of singular. He's, a, he's kind of a, not a one-trick pony, but he's, he does one thing really well, and he has to do that really well in order to Correct. earn some playing yeah, time. Yeah, and, and, and the big thing is is that the guys behind him, yeah, Darius Jennings, Cameron Batson, who was recently placed on IR, but, you know, guys like Khalif Raymond, who are vying for a, a spot on the roster those guys do do things on special teams so they're they're more versatile they they add more in terms of what they're able to do with their skill set so sharp is a guy that really sort of had to you know come out and kind of reassure everybody that that he is the receiver that everyone thinks he is this training camp and so far you know i think he's done that with flying colors you know i think the big thing with him during the season will be trying to stay healthy he's a guy that if he's on the field he's reliable on third down you know a lot of his production last season seemingly came on third down he was always there in a big spot to which is a, a big it's, catch. it's a good time to have production is on yeah third it's, down. it's a not... clutch thing if, if you're not going to you know, contribute elsewhere, contributing in the clutch spots to me, you know, is super valuable. So he's able to do that. But, you know, he had a nagging, I think it was a foot injury last year after the the Cowboys game. um, And that kind of stunted his progress. So he's a guy that, you know, I I think uh, could really be a a valuable depth piece, especially if anybody else, uh, you know, ahead of him on the depth chart gets hurt. So I think it was a really you know, good showing from him um, the other day at the scrimmage. And, and really, it's kind of just a continuation of what's been a really productive and, uh, I guess, reassuring camp for him on the whole. So he was probably the big takeaway. You know, I think the fact that uh, Delaney Walker was out there, you know, because he didn't start. Anthony Ferkser was the guy who, who was the tight end out there first. And he thought, you know, wet conditions, Delaney's coming off 
big ankle injury. He's 35, going to be 36. This is a guy that is just sort of the prime candidate to, to not throw out there and not roll the dice with. Uh, but he comes out there and, uh, you know, looked pretty good. It was his first time uh, playing at <clears throat> Nissan Stadium since 2017 after he he left week one in Miami with, with an ankle injury last season, and that was a season-ending injury. So to have him out there, I think, is big kind of just shows that, you know, he's he's all the way back and, and the Titans are going to need him in that regard. The evaluation that goes on during camp has always been fascinating to me because it's not really, they're, they're not going full speed all the time. And, and, you know, I mean, the coaches see a lot of things. That, but as an observer, like what, what you watch, what do you look for when you say, you know, uh, a guy make progress or a guy kind of regress? Or how, how do you kind of, when you look at these guys during camp, how do you evaluate them, you know, from, from your standpoint? Yeah, it's, it's always interesting because, you know, during camp, you know, in all these guys, in the back of all their minds is let me not, let me go as hard as I can while not, you know, injuring the quarterback or, or doing anything like that. So I, I noticed, I noticed Mike Vrabel uh, vehemently yelling at a player <laughs> during the scrimmage for accidentally tackling another guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so they're cognizant of that at all times, and that kind of makes it difficult. I, I think it's impossible to sort of measure up the run game, you know, just because, you know, tackling and, and all of that is such a big part of it. And, you know, we see them break runs, but would that run have gotten anywhere if, you know, so-and-so was stopped or blocked, you know, at some point ahead of that? Um, so, you know, it's, it, it is hard to, to sort of measure up. I think it is a lot easier to, to sort of size up what the receivers are doing versus the cornerbacks. And I do think these practices are sort of tailored to the offense doing well sure and, and i think it's it's one of those things like when i look at you know when i watch i'll watch any sport and, and i think we over overvalue or overrate what goes on during a practice sure. or a camp i mean it's so easy to get you know excited about somebody who's doing well or get upset about somebody who's not doing well or you know this it, it's to me it doesn't matter i mean it's this is conditioning for these guys this is just preparation for these guys and for for you know us to sit back and, and try to evaluate them i think i guess that's what i was getting at is it's it's kind of um you know it's an exercise in futility really but it's still fun, you know, and, and um, which brings me to my next point. I wanted to, you know, Marcus looked really, really good at the, especially at the beginning of the scrimmage. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, who you know was brought in here to, to be his backup and um, you know a veteran with a lot of experience, uh, didn't look so great. And that's and that's kind of wanted wanted to say, you know, I would preface by saying that I, I don't think that it means a lot one way or the other. I don't, you know, but what your impressions of seeing him so far and what you what you have. You know, I mean, what kind of value is he going to bring? You know, because I know Marcus has a history of missing a game here or there every year. Um, right. How, how I'm sure you've talked about this before, but but for me, mm-hmm. how, how important is is it to have a guy like him, and how important is it that he performs like they expect him to? Well, I mean, I think the importance of having a guy like that when you have Marcus Mariota is huge, just because like you just mentioned, he's never made it cleanly through an entire 16 game season. You know, so I think backup position for the Titans is, you know, it's, it's a really important position, backup quarterback, because you figure at some point he's going to play. Uh, and, and obviously Titans fans hope that's not the case. They hope Mariota gets through all of 2019 in one piece. And so far, you know, I think you have to be encouraged. He's, he's moved well. He looks like he's passed all the nerve injuries that were kind of just plaguing him last year. Uh, so, you know, as far as you know, I, I agree, by the way, I, I think, you know, all the evaluation and, and sort of nitpicking we do this time of the year is way overblown. And I, I think there is value in kind of just seeing who lines up where, uh, you know, for example, the starting right guard spot, you know, every day it's it's for the past couple of days for 
in camp, there's, there's pretty much been somebody new in that spot, which to us tells us that it is a wide open competition mm-hmm. and they're kind of seeing, you know, what's going on there now, you know, it's, <clears throat> hard maybe to, to evaluate exactly how they're doing. Uh, you know, Linemen are the worst to evaluate. I can't. It's, I, <laughs> it's tough, man. It is tough, especially in these conditions where there's some stuff that they can't do. And, uh, right. it, you know, I, I do think all of it is is to, you know, a re- very real degree overblown. But, you know, as far as seeing maybe how guys are, are moving, coming off injury, uh, who's lining up where, I think there's value there. And with Ryan Tannehill, He's a guy that I think, unless he really, one way or the other, is, is completely lighting it up or you know completely missing every single throw, you know you, you know what you're going to get with a guy like that who's a veteran, who's started, who's played in 88 games up until this point in his career, started all 88, pretty steady. I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot that he could do that one way or the other. He wasn't playing on great. He wasn't playing on great teams, but he, he, you know, I, you know, looking at him, he, like you say, he was steady and he has the experience and what what's more fascinating to me more than what you see on the field is you take a guy like Tannehill who's been a starter his whole career and he's he's 31 years old it's not like he's you know in the twilight of his career right and now he's going to be a backup and I think the, the the mental side of the game which it's very very too hard to extract any information from players about that I mean For as sure. you know right but it's a fascinating aspect to me because I just wonder you know, it's it's all about accepting your role, right, mm-hmm. and understanding your role, and and this is what you know, this is what he signed up for. But really, you know, the true colors show when when you get a chance to every day in practice, or when you get a chance to go out there and play, right? Um, you know, so that that's that to me would be interesting to watch because, and if you if you can glean anything from that, if you can, you know, some guys are more open than others talking about it. Um, every guy will tell you, every guy will tell you he wants to start, but you know, this is what this guy. You know, basically, that's what he he is signing. He's signed up for this. So now, how is he going to handle it, and and, and how is, how are the Titans going to handle it? And it's inter- it's always interesting. It's like it's like the goalie and the backup goalie to me, sure. right? Like I I always watch the backup goalie mm-hmm. because. You know, the regular, you know, the starter, we know, not to, I don't want to turn this into a hockey thing, but I think it's just, it's like a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher. It's a lot of, there's a lot of ways you can apply it, but, you know, the backup quarterback can, you know, it can be a vital, vital position as, you know, as many teams find out every year. But um, yeah, for it, sure, it'll be interesting to watch him. And, and I, I did want to touch on one more thing. I know with um, with, with Luan out for the first four games, I know right. that uh, Dennis Kelly's going to be kind of stepping in his spot and here's a guy that has played all over the place mm-hmm. um he's got great versatility he's not you know a superstar but he certainly is a serviceable guy i mean the, the guys like that on the team you know from what you've know, i mean how is it pretty rare to have a guy who can kind of step in on one side of the line and the other side of the line and kind of you know play all over because it does it's got to be really difficult you know, it's it's like a completely different world that you're living. Like everything sure. turns turns in reverse. Right. Yeah. It's it. I mean, to me, it would be like like a baseball player going from shortstop to second base, something like that. There there is an adjustment. It's not, you know, uh, left side of the line versus right side. There is, you know, it's a completely different angle. It's just it, it's it's in reverse is what it is. And you know, Dennis Kelly said as much when he was asked about that, just sort of about that transition when you know, Jack Conklin is out, he's got to be on right tackle. When Lawan's out, he's got to be at left. And there is, you know, a bit of a transition there, maybe a couple of days just to sort of get back into the swing of things. You know, I, I think it is kind of rare to have that guy that that is, you know, could be a starter on a lot of teams and is sort of this ultimate utility guy that you could plug in at any point and he's just ready to go and he doesn't really miss a beat. I think that is rare and I think he's super valuable. And, uh, you know, Dennis Kelly for this team has been, 
honestly, like nothing short of, of just a savior when, when they've had, you know, their two tackles go out. So super valuable guy. I, I do think that is rare. And it's also a rare mindset to, to be able to just be ready at a moment's notice to prepare like a, you know, like you're a starter and then not actually start and kind of just wait around until your number's called. That's, that's tough. And I think, you know, it's something that Tannehill isn't used to. He's going to have to sort of adjust to that. And like you said, uh, he's, he's said all the right things, but what he's really thinking, we don't know, you know, from, from sort of a, I guess, body language standpoint in practice, you know, I think he's really taken to the role, accepted it. Uh, you know, John Robinson told us, you know, right day after uh, they acquired him that uh, he was brought in to be the backup. So that was made very clear to him. And he seems to be accepting of that role. So, you know, if, if that's really how he feels, we'll see. You know, obviously, I'm sure uh, he's hoping to start at some point, uh, you know, the rest of the way his career. So he's, we'll see how it plays out this year with Mariota. But I think it is a mindset thing. And, and so far from what we've seen, you know, I think it's, it's gone well as far as, you know, uh, just body language and, and his attitude as far as taking this role. Mike Vrabel's interesting to watch for body language and foul language and everything else. He's, he's Every a very, very animated. You know, I don't normally I, I watch coaches at practice sometimes, but I, I, I don't always. But he's entertaining to watch because he's he really seems to have taken a very hands on. Like he, he was on the field during the scrimmage, yelling at guys, yelling out plays, yelling out you know mistakes, and patting guys on the back and get in their face. And you know he seems very very involved. I, I wasn't around a lot last year, but I, is that something different from last year? Where I mean, he really seems to just have he's really into it. Like and he shows it. He does. You know, he definitely did that last year. Where he where he would bounce around a lot and, um, you know, try and get it with every position group. But I was just actually watching him. I think it would have been Friday at training camp, and I was just kind of watching his movements early during the practice. And he was uh, with the wide receivers, with the offensive tackles, with the outside linebackers, all within the first 15 minutes or so and getting really hands-on in there. And this is a guy that you know, obviously has a defensive background. He's a former defensive coordinator, former linebacker. And he probably could ca- he probably could kick most guys' butts on the team he's, still. He's like a big he's, dude. He's, yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> I mean, right. he's so he not – not that he's inti- – I mean, I, you know, he has to be intimidating somewhat as a coach, but, I mean, I think he has a presence about him. That, yeah, that, he's, he's intimidating on several levels when he's up in your face like that. But, you know, I think it has come – maybe not a long way, but it's certainly come some ways as far as him just being more efficient, more deliberate with, with where he goes, what he's doing. Uh, and he'll, he'll tell you that too, that, you know, he kind of, I, I spoke to him about this, about like how he intertwines with, with each group during practice. And he said, it's kind of half and half just as far as what he plans and what's spontaneous. Sometimes he'll see somebody doing something and it'll go over there and sure. so that there is a plan in place but a lot of it is kind of just spur of the moment let me see what's going on over here so you know I, I this is my the only NFL team I've covered don't know how rare that is but I think it's it's certainly rare for a head coach to get in is as hands-on as he does with his players and and it's a thing that you talk to the players it's something they really really respect and I think well, he brings he brings he obviously his resume is you know I mean you're not going to find many people with a better resume than he has as far as and he's not far you know he's not so far removed from his playing days I think he's not so far removed in age I think he can relate to a lot of these guys and what they're going through and you know so I think he commands a respect with with the players certainly that that allows him to kind of you know conduct his coaching business the way that he does and sure. speaking of of uh, 
talking football since you guys are probably sick of listening to me talk football. I know that uh, recently you talked to Aaron Reese from the Athletic, right. um, covers the Texans for them, and uh, we're gonna first. I mean, can you a little preview, guys? What you talk? What you guys talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So talked with Aaron for a little while, just sort of about I, I guess the state of the Texans, uh, how their offseason went, was kind of quiet, and then uh, there's there's a certain amount of turmoil in their front office operating without a GM, which is fascinating to say the least. And then, uh, you know, we kind of touched on the schedule, and, and it's interesting from the Titans' standpoint because they play the Texans three times in the last, or two times in the last three weeks, um, which is unusual, and you know, I know it's it's not preferred by most NFL teams, so it's an interesting quirk to the schedule. May or may not, you know, have serious implications down toward the end of December for the division, for the wild card. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I spoke with Aaron for about I think it was ten minutes or so, and uh, here's that conversation. Thanks for taking the time, Aaron. Going back to last year, you know, the Texans win the division uh, before losing the Colts in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, this upcoming year, it's it's kind of funny because I've seen them, you know, as high as uh, I think number eight in the power rankings, which was by ESPN in May, uh, and then as low as twenty three uh, by USA Today, which was just a couple of days ago. What's your kind of just overarching feel for, you know, what the team is this year? Um, you know, given what happened last year and also, uh, you know, what happened in the off season. Um, I think. So, I mean, the thing is, like, the team is mostly unchanged, right, uh, in ways good and bad. Um, I mean, the secondary, I guess, is a little bit changed, but, I mean, offensive line-wise, they, which was obviously the biggest weakness for them, they um, they added two rookies uh, in Titus Howard in the first round, Max Sharpring in the second round. Maybe they both play right away. I, I mean, I'm sure they both play some as rookies. I, maybe, you know, maybe Howard is the only one that's a week-to-week starter right away. Um but, you know, I mean, aside from just adding some rookie linemen, right, otherwise offense isn't really that changed. Um, and the defense, uh, I mean, the, the strength of the defense was always in the front the front seven, and that's that's not different this year. Just the, sec- the secondary is going to look a little different. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, I think, from my perception, it's very much the same team that, um, that you know, won 11 games last year and won the division. But um, that doesn't make them, that doesn't mean that they're an 11-game winning team this year. I think... Um, you know, they, they got maybe a little bit worse in the secondary. Um, who knows if the offensive line will be any better. Um, and they play a significantly harder schedule that uh, just all around will, will be really tough for them. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, and, and the AFC South obviously is better. All those things kind of together, um, they just uh, it, may, it paints for me a, a, a kind of an uphill climb for the Texans. Sure. And, and you know, you kind of mentioned, um, you know, just the fact that it is, uh, you know, on paper, a very similar team to last year. Uh, you know, not, not that loud in offseason as far as uh, free agent acquisitions. I'm curious what you would uh, give the, the Texans just as a grade for, for how they fared um, over the offseason. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of there was a lot of turmoil in the front office. And I'm going to ask you about that as well. But just, you know, strictly in terms of what they were able to do roster wise, what would you give them as a grade yeah um i think underwhelming is kind of the, the thing for me so i mean i guess you know i don't know what you'd say that is like a c right i mean i think as some of these things with the offensive linemen it's it's hard um because they're you know all we've seen them in so far obviously is you know offseason as we record this has been offseason practices with no pads or anything like that and so you can't glean much from that and um but you know i and they're rookie offensive linemen. They could be okay right away. They could be really terrible right away. And neither neither outcome necessarily even um, tells you how they'll be in five years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the rookie offensive linemen is kind of a toss-up. 
I, I think, you know, the secondary, given how much cap space they have left open now as the season nears, you know, it's like, was it really, why not spend the money on Tyron Matthew, I guess, from my perspective, but, um, but you know they, they liked Deshaun Gibson who was already in the division with the um, with the Jaguars and they got him for uh, quite a discount compared to um, compared to Matthew and, and what was a kind of wild off season for safeties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but and you know in terms of uh, adding sweat, swapping out Kareem Jackson and Bradley Roby at corner to play opposite Jonathan Joseph, I uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the most amazing move. I mean, Roby was a first round pick. And you know Denver let him walk, uh, and or he's now he's now leaving Denver after one contract, and was pretty inconsistent there. Um, he might be okay in a one year kind of prove a deal, but uh, in fairness to the Texans, I mean they their two biggest weaknesses in the secondary and on the offensive line, they it wasn't really good off seasons for either of those in terms of just adding people via free agency. Right, and then obviously in June, uh, in what was you know just kind of a, a stunning move, um, you know by most by all accounts, uh, you know they fired. General Manager Brian Gain. I'm, I'm curious what you think, just in terms of how that affects them this year. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know how much it really matters, like now, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I mean, I, maybe I suppose, I suppose the way, the degree to which you could say it affects them um, during the season is like, and we'll have to see how this goes. Right? Is, is who's kind of monitoring uh, the waiver wire and, and and stuff like that, and who's who's kind of doing those moves and. And who's ultimately the one that's executing a potential trade? Um, but I think that um, you know, in terms of like salary cap and, and negotiations of that sort, the guy who was already doing that is still doing that. Uh, Bill Bryan already played a heavy hand of personnel. He'll maybe now is talk more directly to the personnel staff, uh, the people that were reporting to Gain. Um, but I, you know, I, so I think the biggest concern, obviously, would be that Bill Bryan already has kind of developed a, a reputation um, for you know, kind of hoarding power. People like to say and and and. Maybe more importantly, um, perhaps having so much power can spread a coach really thin, especially when he wants to already call plays. And, and his play calling has been subject um, to questioning at times, too. So, you know, it's like, does he, is he really the sort of person you need to entrust with more um, more responsibilities, especially as you hear, um, you know, people like Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, where they've obviously won a Super Bowl, saying that, you know, he, he very much views, like, the, the delineation of, of roles as a, a, a vital to success, right? And you mm-hmm. have kind of the opposite happening here with a franchise that has never had so much success. Yeah, uh, and, and kind of just, um, you know, going forward and, and, and um, looking at the team in training camp, is there anything specifically that you've got your eye on, you know, just in the next few weeks here as, as the Texans open up camp? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'd be interested. I want to see how the, uh, the secondary looks. Roby, uh, the free agent I mentioned, cornerback, he didn't really, uh, um, didn't practice much, uh, during the offseason. And, and Lonnie Johnson was the cornerback they drafted in the second round out of Kentucky. He also didn't practice much. So I think secondary would be interesting because they faced, like, a pretty, uh, strong group of, uh, quarterbacks this year as opposed to last year when they faced the worst in the league. Um, so that, that'll be worth watching to me. And then obviously, you know, the offensive linemen, um, you don't get to really see them hit or anything like that during the offseason program. And now uh, now they will be able to. And obviously, you know, there's there's a lot hinging on whether those rookies can be impact rookies. Yeah, and, and kind of looking at the schedule, um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. But, you know, the one thing that um, is, is really interesting toward the end of the year is just the fact that the Titans and the Texans uh, played twice in the last three games. Um and you know, by all accounts here, that's that's not exactly ideal to play one team twice in, in such a short span. Uh, I'm curious if uh, you know, kind of looking at what the Titans did last year. You know, their season came down to the last game of the season. 
against the Colts. That game was, you know, flexed to to Sunday night, and it was, you know, pretty much a de facto playoff game. Uh, looking at sort of just that last leg of the season, would it surprise you if, you know, maybe uh, the situation unfolded in a similar fashion where, um, you know, the Titans and Texans could be playing, uh, you know, not maybe not for a playoff spot, with, but with plenty of implications to go, you know, just in that last uh, final three games of the season? Yeah, no, absolutely. I just, I think that the, uh, um, I think the front half of the schedule is really going to not enable the Texans to, um, to, you know, be in any sort of more cushy position like they were last year. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, they were still playing for other things towards the end of the year, but I mean, they, you know, they were on, they were on their way to 11 wins. Their final game was against a Jaguars team that had basically quit, you know. I think everyone knew going into the final week then that they were, they were going to be in the playoffs. They're probably, they're going to win the division and, and, you know, uh, barring, you know, as long as they took care of business and, and all those things. And, um, Whereas this year, you know, I think the first half of the schedule, you have these road games against the Saints, Chargers, and Chiefs, all in their first six games. I mean, that alone, and then then the Colts the week after the, the game in Kansas City. I mean, I think they're going to have they're going to be working from behind for this, the next half of the schedule, and it's going to make it so that every game, probably even that final game, is going to be really important. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know both where both teams are, uh, you know, come December. Uh, those were all the questions I had, though, Aaron. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's fascinating. Uh, some some of the things going on with the Texans have, have been you know made headlines, and and it's interesting to hear some insight about that being being where we are. Um, the the takeaways from from that certainly are are uh, it's inter- always interesting to hear the other side and how other teams do things sure. and, and operate. But uh, anyway, this is uh, this will wrap up our edition of talking Titans with uh, Eric Bacharach yep. and Paul Scarbina. So we'll see you next time. Talkin' Titans hosts each Thursday at Tennessean.com. You can also subscribe to Talkin' Titans for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. Talkin' Titans is a production of the Tennessean.